Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Thursday night. I'm actually tired, I'm sure you are. But I um, want to do uh, some ideas about the Seder, you know, maybe to help some people, whatever. Um, tonight's podcast about the Seder is being sponsored by the Rabinowitz here in Boulder, Pinchas Rabinowitz and his wife and family, in Sechon um, the his mother-in-law, Sarabas Baruch Halebi, passed away long ago, when Mrs. Rabinowitz was young, and the Yards is coming up at the end of Pesach, Ahazel <coughs> Pesach, <clears throat> and so they say Neshama Shev and Aliyah, but actually, as we know, the biggest least Neshama is when if she has children and grandchildren, as she does, that are going in the right road in life. And, um, been with a good friends of mine, and uh, the, they put a, a simcha spin on it, and Bart just got married, the son just got married uh, the other day, by <clears throat> Pakude, and um, uh, so that's a big simcha, so, you know, Dor Horlech with Dor in the best sense of the word, in the best sense, that's what we want, you know, that's what you want, Dor Horlech with Dor and hopefully the new couple will uh, have a lot of brach and simcha and mazel in their marriage. And now, um, let me give a few thoughts. Whew, I just finished the badika in my mother-in-law's house and all the rest of it. And I have this pain in the knee. I don't know what's wrong with me. Anyway, uh, the, the Haggadah Pesach. First of all, before anything else, take my advice, if you know what's good for you, and read Zevin. This is my advice to everybody. Read his chapter, if you can, in Merlin Balacha. Get, uh, the chapter on the... Um, Seder, and on the Haggadah. I just went over to Seder the other day. Again, every year I look at it, it reminds me of things I forgot. <laughs> you know what I mean? All these Hornisha things. For example, he has all these shalos and shivas of people back in the old country, simple Jews, as we call it, who used to, I'll read you his words. Uh, you know, regular Jews, not Karaites, not Muranos, Jews in Hungary, it's in Chassam Sofer, and some other places like that, you know, in the, in the uh, what do you call it, um, Shlomo Kluger, you know, in, in, in Galicia, Pashti Yidin, as we would say today, and they thought, you know, let's not everybody's learned it, there were no day schools and so forth, they thought, like it says in the Parsha, every year you have to do a Shech to Karm Pesach, and uh, there's no base of Megas, so you Shech one locally, and betmimus, you know, they brought it <clears throat> to the local shaykhid. Here's my set or my gedig, and we're going to shecht it, and tonight we'll have it at the Seder for Karm Pesach, which raises, as you know, halachic issues. You know, they declare kachim, and then we're in big trouble, and whatever. I'm just saying, it's interesting the things that Zem reminds people of, uh, <clears throat> in my opinion. Now, um, the, the Haggadah itself, as I said before, has a long history as a composite document, although there are mafarshim like the Barbanel and others that treat it as a singular, a single document, like somebody wrote it. Um, in reality, the Haggadah, you know, evolved, let's put it this way. 
Once upon a time, in Jewish history, no Haggadah. And by its reason, for example, as far as we know, yeah, it's, it's, the night came, you shechted the current base in the afternoon. When it was a Mishkan, you did it by the Mishkan. I have no idea how the whole Jewish people, you know, handled that, spread out over the mountains near near uh, Shiloh. I've been in Shiloh, and so have you, probably. And, you know, and even if it's not exactly the mountain that they tell the tourists, is, it's one of those mountains over there. How do you get the whole... <laughs> Excuse me, all the 12 tribes, and you know, forget about the bathroom situation, all the rest is, is crazy. But Isaiah Zuckman, so they used to do the carbon Pesach, and you eat it with your family, and there's no Seder, you, eat, you know, the meal could consist, as I think we know, of either a Chagig or something like that. In other words, you would sit down, let's say a family, and just have the lamb, you know, the, the, the Pesach Matzamar. And, uh, <clears throat> uh, you know, did they say anything? I don't know. There's a mitzvah simply says it's not mock of anything. The same type of simple Jew that's bringing an animal to Shecht in Hungary in time of Sam Sofer, he, he don't know no simply says You know what I mean? Maybe the wife knows from Santa Maybe she can't read. Who knows? So I'm just trying to show you that there was no Haggadah. Uh, there was no Seder, I should say. No Seder. This evolved in the Baishini period in response to historical circumstances. You know, the once the Bible was translated into Greeks, and the Greeks produced a counter-narrative, and the Jews had to counter the counter-narrative, and so forth. If you're interested, I have a speech online somewhere. And uh, they produced a ceremony that you are not familiar with. But it evolved, obviously. It goes without saying. Once upon a time, like the Mishnah says, they had Mama carbon Pesach. And I always say that when I was young, I liked the Haggadah of the Nitziv, because he emphasized that side of it. That the you know the Haggadah, I mean the the Seder had to be different because it was situated around the Karm Pesach, whereas nowadays it's situated around the the narrative, it's situated around the matzah. <clears throat> okay, now here's the thing. Uh, and by the way, every year, this year less, I always copy out some notes I write down before Pesach. Uh, I'll send it to Rabinowitz, you know the the sponsors I'll send it to if they're interested. I have a lot of little varts and stuff like that from over the years, but I don't want to repeat myself. I probably said some of these in the past I can't remember. But let me <clears throat> focus on a few items. You know, just a few items that you may find of interest to talk about at the Seder. I'm always fascinated by the fours and the threes. Okay? The fours and, and every year I think of a different four and three or something, a different aspect of it. Because I'm older, <laughs> right? You get older. <clears throat> so, uh, as you know, the Seder is full of threes and fours. Don't you agree? Fours are easy. It's four sons. It's four questions. It's, uh, you know, uh, for um, Baruch's, you know, that kind of thing. You know, Baruch and Baruch and all that. Um, four cups, obviously. Um, there were four guests of Rabbi Kivan and B'nai Brak. Uh, as we all know, uh, there are four um, Goluses and Geula and Vatsesimi Lakakti and all that. There's four of those. And a number of others. I'm sure I must have <clears throat> talked about this in the past. I just can't remember. There are also a bunch of threes. By the way, four imahos. If you want to, this would be hard. It's not so easy. How do you do the four imahos for the four goloshes? By the way, I'll tell you one that occurred to me, but I can't tell you the others without becoming dochek a little bit. But one, I'm sure. I can definitely see how Sarah... Is for the four goloses, not for any particular one, for the four goloses. Sarah personifies in her career 
you know, the uh, idea of Jewish survival in all these harsh conditions for a very simple reason. Sarah had a rebirth. Achri Blosi The story of Sarah is one in which, you know, she was past the prime, and then she got the prime back. Like a, like a phoenix, you understand? No, she was gone, and then she wasn't gone again. She had his chachets. And this is the story of the Jewish people in the Colossus, including in Egypt, correct? They were crushed, they were bushed, they this, that, and the other. They had no chance. And in spite of that, Achri Blosi Haisaliyadna. Pesach is more or less about that. And a similar thing happened that they survived, you know, Bavel and Persia and so on and so forth. Achri Blosi Haisaliyadna. They had a second miraculous rebirth. <clears throat> there was a guy in the early 1800s, a famous Moscow, who wrote Morinabuchi Asman, Krochmal was his name. Uh, not from God, eh, whatever, weird. And But he had a famous vort, and he said, when you study history, you see every country has a, a rise, a peak, and a fall. And so have the Jews. The difference is, the Jews had a rise, a peak, and a fall, and then another rise. And then a peak, and a fall, and another rise. So, you know, uh, and it's right. So Moab had a rise, a peak, and then a fall. They're gone. Rome, Greece, ancient Egypt, ancient Persia, Babylon, Samaria, etc., 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 they had a rise, a peak, and a fall. The Aztecs, the Mayans, and all the rest of it had a rise, a peak, and a fall. The Jews had a rise, and a peak, and a fall, because we made our share of mistakes, but then they have a rise again, right? So that's the Sarah idea in there. How Rivka and <clears throat> Rachel and Leah would fit in, you know, um, it's not so easy to figure out. I have my opinion about it. Should I tell you? Eh, nah. I'll tell you one. Rachel, you won't like this. Rivka, at the end of the day, succeeded by cheating Esau. Now, Esau was trying to cheat her and fool everybody, thinking he's a tzaddik. And so she so cheated, cheated the cheater. But deception has been part of the Jewish survival strategy throughout the Gauls, as I hate to say it. That's a fact. May not be something you want to trumpet at the Seder, but it's kind of interesting. So that's Sarah and Rivka. You handle the rest, if you care to. Because <clears throat> I want to go somewhere else with this. And I'll tell you what it is. Um... I thought this year, a thought came to me, and it's the following. When you see threes, that's one model, and when you see fours, it's a different model. Threes represent the three sons minus the Russia. The Chacham, the Tom, and the Shein, the Elisho. Okay? That's the threes. And, because um, the Russia is excluded. Hotzi Yatsmanaklov, you know, Hakevashinov, and so on and so forth. So, the model of the three, I think I mentioned last time, the carbon Pesach is offered in three groups. That's a Mishnah, yeah, it's a Halacha. Uh, right? Um, the, 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 there are three Matzahs, for example, and there are three things in, in, in Rabbi Gamliel, Pesach Matzah <clears throat> The Matzah itself is kind of interesting on playing with this because the Matzah appears in three forms. I think you know this, right? Uh, the Matzah appears as a slave bread, when you start at the beginning of the Seder, you're not talking about the matzah they left Egypt in. You talk about the matzah that was the the bread that they ate when they were slaves. Uh, that's a different thing. And then you talk about the matzah, which was al matzah that Hashem said two weeks before Pesach, I want you to get a Pesach matzah mar. Right? You know, Achodesh Ezelachem. He says, you should eat with Pesach matzah mar. So that uh, so they so that the first seder they ate matzah. That is not the matzah that you're talking about when you say shaloh hichmitz, you know shaloh hispik betzechem lahachmitz. That's a third matzah. 
that's the matzah. When they left Egypt, they went so fast, the chipazan, and they were moving, so they were constantly hitting on the uh, dough, that by the time they got out, out of Egypt, they left the country. They baked it, Ugos matzah ki lochameitz, ki gorshomim in Sraim, below yochlu hispamea, megam se I believe in the Mishnah, uh, the language is different, right? I think I should go them or something like that. Um, because they didn't emphasize that aspect of it. <clears throat> so there are three matzahs, and there are three sons, minus the Russia. And, there, and the Pesach is offered in three groups. So there is a model, a sad model, in which you get rid of the Rishon. Sometimes it's necessary. Okay? The Jewish people have survived to the degree they survived, like a rocket ship that has to jettison pieces of it as it shoots up. What I mean by that is survival of the fittest. Uh, if you know anything about Jewish history, tons of people left the Jewish religion on one, one occasion or another, usually persecution. I don't want to call them Rashaim, but that's what it boils down to. The Russian, in the sense of Hotsi Yatsim and Aklal. For example, when, the, when, when in 1492, when they said, whoever wants to stay in, in Spain has to become a Christian, a Catholic, half of them made that choice. That's a big number. Half of them made that choice. So this is like Hotsi Yatsman, a call coffer baker, and therefore you're not part of a Pesach anymore. So there's a ton of Spanish out there today in Spain, a ton, who are descended from these people, but it's the wicked son, you know, in other words, we have no shyness to anything. So, for better or worse, the one that survives is the three, three out of four. Now, by the way, it occurred to me, where in the Gemara in Jewish lore do you have a case of three out of four surviving? And that's the Pardis, isn't it? Four went into Pardis. One got messed up. Uh, that's the Russia, that's the Acher. And the other three, it's almost like the same thing. Rabbi Kiv is the Chacham. Uh, which one, uh, you know, died? You know, it's like I didn't and, and, and know how to handle it. And then it's like a Tom, you know, in other words, the... Uh, the the brain fried or something like that. It was Benzoma, Benazi. I never remember which one. Uh, it's the same model. Three, four went in, three came out. Four went in, three survived. And as I said, you know, Pesach certainly has this element because we had our share of Russia's who didn't go, as we know. You know, um, besides the 80%, I mean, we had our share of Russia's that didn't go. So it's very thoughtful. Now, when you therefore see all these threes, they seem to me uh, references to this model that I just described. So the three matzahs are for, 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 for those Jews who were not the Russians. Um, the, you have the, the, the slave bread. You know, you have the carbon Pesach food. And then you have the chipozon uh, food. And you know, obviously they're going to correspond. You're going to have to figure this out at your Seder. I'm giving you what to talk about. They're obviously going to have to correspond to the three sons or the three mentalities. You understand? The three mentalities. Uh, because uh, because they are the way a matzah worked out. There's a, in the story of Shmos, there's a history of the matzah. The Jews encounter matzah as slaves. They re-encounter matzah as part of the Karm Pesach. And then they re-encounter matzah again unexpectedly after they leave. Uh, you know, there was no Isra Chometz. And so they were expect, as we all know, they were expecting to eat bread, and it didn't work out that way. And uh, that's uh, you know a a striking uh, business. 
Now, as I said before, you know, which is the matzah representing? The Mishnah talks about the second carbon basal food, and the uh, way we read the today is the chipazan, uh, which which perhaps speaks more to us. That's the Nitzvah's argument. I remember from many years ago, chipazan speaks more to us because we all yearn for a chipazan type of gula. You understand? We don't want World War Three. We don't want all this. But we just want you know, let it be over now. Let the Mashiach come tomorrow and shine. Done. <laughs> you know what I mean? Done. We put in enough time. Done. Uh, that's 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 a a a, a pesadika attitude. Right? So, hold on for a second. Now, what was the... Uh, sorry for the interruption. What was the essence of the Russia? <clears throat> you know? Uh, this, to my mind, is is where the moror kicks in. Because uh, there's a famous note of Yehuda. I'm sure he's not the only one. Who says there's moror and there's moror. By moror's chayim, by vodakosha can be translated they embittered their lives with hard labor. Or Bavodakosha, like Rashi says, you know, Boshamal Mosha, Mikotza Ruchma Vodakosha, where they're talking about a Vodazar, that kind of thing. No, there's assimilation. Uh, one thing we're not told clearly in the story, and you certainly don't go to it in, in detail in the Haggadah, there's a lot of things that the Haggadah skips. Uh, it's like one size fits all, and as they say before, it evolved, and clearly we have several Haggadahs that come together. Uh, even the Gemara says that there's, and, and by the way, the different versions that I've got we have are indeed calculated according to the three sons. That's a three. What do I mean when I say that's a three? The Haggadah that has survived in the form, literary form, in the Haggadah Shalpesa that we have, the Magid, is clearly three, three, three types. I'll tell you exactly what I mean. <clears throat> the Mishnah says, uh, what's the language? Isn't that right? That's an interesting expression. That's in the Mishnah. The Daito shall ben avi malamdo. Now, what does that mean? Um, plainly, it means you construct your own Haggadah, depending who the kids are. It's not what we do today. Uh, we try to fit that model into the existing uh, framework, okay? But, you know, whether it fits well or not. But really, 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 the idea of that you construct a specific narrative for the kid uh, goes to the very heart of the three sons, you know, the four sons and all that. Uh, and really what it means is you do it on your own. And you don't believe me? Look at the Rambam. The Rambam says there in Perek Zion, I guess, It's a mitzvah to tell your children, by the way, uh, to the kids what happened. Lefidaito shall bend the Rambam says Avi Malando Ketzad im hayakaton otipesh Omer lebni kulanu hoya avonim k'moshiv chazu avezeh b'mitzrayim u'balayl hazeh parasan kashbarach v'yotzei lecheres. So he didn't use the words avonim ayinu, right? Now the Rambam does have agada later on. He has a nosek agada, but that's not the words he used over here, didn't he? Why? Because if you have a little kid or a tipesh as he calls him, avonim minu lefar mitzrayim v'yotzei misham. Is, is a little too stylized. It's a little too formal. It's a little too rigid. You should really say it over in a way that's that fits, you know, um, and makes impression on the child by pointing to an evidence that you have. Right? So in his time, the Ramos time, there was human slavery. <clears throat> he lived in Egypt 
in the 1100s, and there sure was, you know, slaves, legal slavery at that time. So everybody could see, you know, um, slaves. And uh, you could just say, oh, yes, listen, we used to be like that. It, an example would be, like, if this was in the South, if somebody had stayed in the South, you know, uh, 200 years ago when they had slavery. So someone would say, see, these uh, uh, black slaves, we were like that. And then God took us out. So that's not what it says now. God exactly, it says a stylized form from the Chumash. But you put it in the words that you, the, the, the way the kid does. And the Rambam goes on to say, That's not what you have in Nagara. In Nagara, say, oh, the four sons, you tell them, Well, that's not the language the Rambam's using. And by the way, the Rambam, as they say, has a Haggadah Shal Pesach, he has a Nosach later on in the Mishnah Torah, if you look at the end of Hilchas Chametz Matzah, <coughs> right? You know, it's there. But that's not the language he just used over here. What he says is the real Haggadah Shal Pesach, Haggadah Shal Pesach, the, the, the telling over Pesach, is free form. Like I'm doing at this moment, so to speak, you know, a variation on that. Uh, we don't do that, right? It's funny, because as I said before, things have evolved and become stylized, and there's such a thing called Haggadah Shal Pesach, and it was put together by whoever he did in, in different forms, and then it, it becomes the matbeah, the way you do it. It's like getting married in America. It's Allah Moshe Sinai. You have to have the, the, the chasantesh, you know, and then you have to have the smorgasbord over here, and then comes the badekin, and so on and so forth. You got to do it. Everybody does it, you know. It's Allah Moshe Sinai. Uh, so, so the same thing, the narrative form of the Haggadah has become this. Instead, what we do is mefarshim. You know, you find a thousand Haggadahs, each one with a pirish on it, in the stylized and formal uh, nature of it. <clears throat> the stylized and formal nature of it. And so, um, historically, clearly, once upon a time, uh, there, there were those families, I'm sure many, many, who had what we would call Tom, a kid who's a Tom. I mean, they don't have education. Why would he know? Uh, not everybody goes to yeshiva and this and that and the other. Certainly in the old days. I just told you before, some people went to the Chassam Silver or whoever was writing over there, want to do a Karim Pesach. And they meant it in the best sense. They don't know. That's what you're dealing with. So, when you deal with a Tom, so you say like this, That paragraph. Uh, that was the whole Haggadah. So in other words, the child would say some variation of Manishtana Laila Zeh. Didn't have to be the four that are in the Mishnah and we've slightly changed in the Haggadah. Uh, I assume you know what I'm talking about. It's not precisely the same. And, um, you know, it would be spontaneous. That's the key point. It'd be real. It'd be spontaneous. And so, as far as that kid is concerned, the Haggadah's over. What is this? What's going on? Well, tonight is Pesach. What's Pesach? We're celebrating our freedom from Egypt. What Egypt? Avonim Menel of Armas Ram. How'd that happen? No, Tom doesn't ask that question. You understand? Yeah, he's not holding there yet. Maybe when he grows up, maybe somebody else, whatever. He's not holding there. And so, once upon a time, the entire Haggadah was something like Manishtana, Avonim Eyrub, and that was probably it. Later on, they added Maiser Belezer, Bekiva Bishua, to show you 
It's a mitzvah, a sapri, serious rhyme, my raisin, mashubach. And maybe they had another little business, and that's it. You understand? Certainly, by the time you get to whatever it is, uh, you know, mitzchil over there, but you know, by the time you got to that, uh, it's over. Um, when it says, four, can I get Abba Bunim Zibra Torah? That's a lift out of the Gemara and Yushalmi. So that didn't exist until the Yushalmi, you know. So uh, that's just following what the Rambam said. That if you have a, a, a son who is a cutting or a tipesh, whatever you want to call it, you give it to him in a very simple form. There's not another Haggadah. However, if you have a, a Gadol and a Chacham, then you start with Mitzchilov de Vodazariah Vesenu. He didn't do Abba Nabi Nalfar Mitzvah. That guy knows it. <clears throat> right? That's not what the Haggadah was. The Haggadah was Mitzchilov de Vodazariah And what you're doing then is to say like this, you cannot understand the story of Pesach unless you understand the story that came before it. Like the famous story where Will Durant wanted to write a history book on Napoleon, but then he said, well, now I see I can't write about Napoleon until I write about the 1700s, which was before Napoleon. But then he said, now I see I can't write about the 1700s until I write the 1600s. So he ended up writing this long series starting with uh, the year one. Uh, the same thing over here. You can't understand how our ancestors got in Egypt as slaves until you understand how they got to Egypt Bechlal. You can't understand how they got to Egypt Bechlal unless you understand the story of Abraham Yitzhak. We might as well go back to square one. So that's already a historical development. Now again, the way we have in Agoda is a bare bone stylized business. What it really was meant to say was Lafi the Rambam and the others. That's the model you should use. You say, you want to know how Claudius got to Egypt? It's a constant story and, and, and it's uh and some of it's not so pretty. So it depends what kind of a son you're dealing with. What I mean by that is, do you want to go into the story about Yosef and the Mechiris Yosef? Because that's how they got to Egypt. In um, the Haggadah, we uh, glaze over that because we don't want to talk about such negative things on the Seder night. We use Arami Yovirovi Vayer Mitzrayma. You know, like that. <laughs> you get, you know, that way you skirt around the whole Joseph story. But it's all part of the idea of giving, as the Rambam puts it over here, Modiyah Masha Irulan B'Mitzrayim Venisim Shanasalani Demosh Rabbeinu you tell them the story of what happened in Egypt to the degree you're able to. <clears throat> the problem is that the Chumash itself and the other sources do not make it clear to us how exactly the slavery happened. All they say is that B'nai Yisrael Parba Yishratzu and all that, and then Parasa Hovind Eschak Malo. And, you know, and how did he pull that off? You understand? One day, I mean, were the Jews popular? Were they unpopular? Were they really a threat? Mamish? Or was he just making it up? Uh, you know, how can he just say one day, Let's all go and enslave all these people. And everybody agree to it. Um, like, what is the historical circumstances that brought it about? Uh, there is that famous story that first they offered them to work you know, for money. and all. But why did, why did the Jews fall for it? We're not told. At the most, we have in the Chumash and in the Haggadah, uh, this very enigmatic phrase, which I think is worth a lot of discussion. It doesn't say, as everybody knows, That's how you say in Hebrew, the Egyptians were bad to us. The Egyptians were evil to us, and they tortured us. But it says, So the Mitzrim rod us. They eviled us. 
What does that mean? In English, it doesn't make sense either. And uh, you go and you end up with the more thoughtful Mephorshim. The, it's interesting, uh, two of them in the 18th century, uh, the Fleckle is one, that's one of my uh, Haggadahs that I like from, uh, you know, the Chumiyava. He's a very good speaker. One of the good uh, Darshaners. And uh, uh, here I wrote something down. By Ariel, some of this can be variously translated and therefore variously interpreted. It is the only reference to the actual beginning of the slavery, which is crowded with unclarity, because I told you we don't know how to begin slaves. Uh, this year I liked it, the, the translation of the Flecklis, Lazar Flecklis, uh, from Prague, who said they corrupted us. By Ariel, some of you, they corrupted us. They turned us into selfish materialists. That's what he says. Turn selfish material, uh, materialists and nothing makes one as selfish as sensual materialism. Isn't that true? Uh, if you get into Gashmias, one of the things that happens is you get very selfish. Uh, because, you know, that's just the way it is. Uh, you, you have to focus on number one, <laughs> on myself. This caused the Jewish group solidarity to unravel as each Jew pursued his or her personal self-interest, even at the expense of the group, and this disunity facilitated the enslavement of the entire group. So the Egyptians can play one off against the other. As I understand it, this is to be understood politically as well as spiritually. Politically, had the Jews been united, they might have lobbied against this decree, the way Esther and Mordechai did lobby successfully against the king's decree. You know, as far as we know, there wasn't anybody when they said, oh, we're going to enslave everybody, who said, it worked on Purim. No, 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 Purim happened on Pesach. <laughs> See my point? That was a, that's a, that's a, uh, uh, two opposites. The original, you know, Pesach, I mean, the story of the slavery in Egypt, the Jews were Mephuzah Mephorah, and therefore, power could play one off against the other, and there wasn't any even uh, movement to, uh, you know, to try to prevent that decree, as far as we know. And number two, had the Jews had group solidarity, then they could have offered passive resistance, because power can't kill them all, not in those days. And if nobody wants to be a slave, you can't make anybody a slave. They had to be cooperating in their own destruction. Hitler did this, you know. I mean, he was in the genocide, not slavery, but Hitler did this. Those who studied the Holocaust closely know that the Nazis were actually very clever in splitting the Jews and playing one off against the other, and... uh, preventing ma- ma- passive resistance and all that kind of stuff. You know, to put in simple terms, if the Jews hadn't gone to the ghettos when they were supposed to, if they hadn't gone off uh, and showed up and registered when they are supposed to, it would have been much, much harder for the Germans to kill all those people. So they knew how to do it. So here we have a comparison between the show on the one hand and the slavery that happened in Egypt on the other. And finally, from a spiritual perspective, by Arelano, if they caused us to have a Mephuz or Mephorod, then that broke the power of Kali Yisrael, one of the um, uh, mystical realities we believe in is the power of Jewish unity, right? Of the Klal per se. But if it's Vayarevo Sanu, then uh, we, we, he persuaded us not to have that. Okay, it's very interesting. He uh, persuaded us not to have that. And um, this is a uh, an angle which gives us something of an idea, at least. And by the way, Orachim also says the same thing in different words. Not quite, this, you know, not word for word. I just saw it today because I was looking in the, uh, you know, Mikras Gadolis to see 
if anybody talks about that Pasuk over in, in Kisavo, uh, which is all part, of course, of the uh, Vidoy of the Bikurim. Now, uh, here I'm throwing out something at you. What exactly happened in Egypt? You know, how did it happen? We have a lot of references to the Jewish assimilation. Um, <clears throat> there's a famous medrash at the beginning of Shemos, which says that when Yosef died, they stopped bris milo. Omru nia kimitzrayim. I've quoted this many times. I know by heart. And um, and what happened was hafach hakadosh baruch This is the language of the medrash. Yeah, I, I think I'm saying it verbatim. Hafach hakadosh baruch So avo shamitzim hayovim osom lesino. That as a result of their attempt to uh, abandon Brismila and bl- and blend in, uh, God c- created anti-Semitism in Egypt. That's a very interesting uh, take, right? So in other words, the anti-Semitism began when the Jews, so to speak, left Goshen, right? And via Reuelonu, the Hasidic interpretations and others are, they became friends with us, from the word Haftarecha uh, Kamocha. And so you can blend the two together. Both are in the uh, wonderfully plastic Hebrew uh, verbs. By Areo Sanu, sounds like they were friends. No, by befriending us, they caused us to lose. Let's put it this way. Now I'm friends with a guy, so I'm not friends with the Jew anymore, with my fellow Jews. Uh, this broke a group solidarity and resulted in this Pirud, Mephuzim Mephorod, which resulted in the slavery and the, and the terrible Shibud. Uh, that's a very interesting take. Now, what that means is that the Jews were kind of authors of their own destruction. And there are many passages in the book of Yecheskel where the Navi speaks in those terms, okay? That they uh, really got into the Avodah Zarah. That leads us to the discussion of the Mara, right? Because um, the Mara is supposed to be, as I was saying before, but what kind of Mara are we talking about? Uh, so the Pashim shot is they worked them hard. And that that is certainly true. I mean, that happened. Uh, they worked them hard. And they killed them, you know, with the backbreaking labor. And the children and so on and so forth. As we all know, is a major element of the Haggadah. Uh, or is it? <clears throat> we don't talk too much about it, just a little bit. Um, but there's also the other Mar that the Nod of Yehuda talks about. And that's the spiritual Mar. Now, believe me, I'm not trying to give a rabbinic sermon over here. I don't like when you do the cliches. Now, he said in a thoughtful way, um, the, 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 there's, there's physical slavery and, and spiritual slavery. <clears throat> and what that means is one can be, um, by circumstances, physically a slave, but you hate every minute of it. Uh, you're just stuck there by circumstances. Uh, you don't feel mentally, intellectually, inferior to those that are persecuting you, you're just, you're just stuck in a bad situation. You understand? Uh, and then you got to do what you got to do. Um, but you like to get out of any second. So in other words, mentally you're free, physically you're stuck. Uh, just comes to my mind, for example, I could pick a million examples. Comes to my mind, imagine the Kloisenberger Rabbit, for example, in the concentration camp. He was stuck. He had to work like a slave. Uh, he, mentally, he was not a slave. Correct? Mentally, he was not a slave. Mentally, he thinks all the Germans could drop dead in a second. You know, he, he, he has no no, no uh, feeling of inferiority towards them or anything like this. Quite the opposite. He was just stuck. So that's a moror of Shibud uh, Avodah's Perech. 
backbreaking labor, which, by the way, did happen in World War II. My father told me he saw people, I think I mentioned to you, working on an airfield in Lithuania to, to make an airfield, and uh, the back broke from the from the heavy burden. Of, no, they died. from the, the Germans made them carry too heavy, stuff that was too heavy. So things like that much happened. Now, um, and then there's a different one, which is uh, you feel mentally a slave. In other words, you buy into the system. Um, and what's... Uh, so in other words, the, the total slave is the one that's working hard and feels that this is his, his lot in life, <clears throat> is what he's supposed to be. Um, the Jews, understandably... Many fell into that category. Um, they were slaves and said, because of Ruch Avodah Kosha, even though Egyptians are working them to death, they believe in the gods of Egypt. And they believe Egypt was a master country. And they looked to Egypt as, you know, an exemplar. And if you would free them, they would like to become Egyptians. Hear what I just said? If you free them, they would like to become Egyptians. Uh, that's a mental slavery. Uh, and... Uh, that's a tough one because a lot of Jews never dropped that even after they left Egypt, as we all know, and they were in the desert. Uh, the first thing they did when they were scared was make a, a glazol, and so on and so forth. And they wanted to go back to Egypt all the time. What is that? How can people who suffer terribly want to go back to Egypt? But that happened on 40 years in the desert. See, so see, in other words, that, that's the moral the, 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 uh, of the neshama, shall we say. By Yomoros Chaim Babot Kosha can therefore mean two things. Now, it's very interesting because, um, as I'm sure everybody knows, there's old traditional debates throughout Jewish history. Um, I don't know if I ever did it on a podcast. Or not. I did it long, long ago in the Shabbos of speech, long ago, about the Mara, the history of Mara. Because, you know, the mission lists five things, which in practical terms boil down to two. It's lettuce or it's, um, uh, or it's radish in our time. Uh, you know, for better root. Uh, in my... Personally, in my family, but I'm the last of the Mohicans that does it, they just eat the, the horseradish plain, you know, not ground up. Uh, or to be more accurate, the way I was raised was for the morrow, you eat it uh, plain, you know, just a chunk. And then for the um, for the korech, is a ground up. That's how my, my parents did it. Uh, everybody does it in different ways. Uh, if you're interested in the subject whatsoever, there's a ton written on this. And just look at Zeb, and he brings the, the Nasibas. Who say you're not allowed to grind it up, <laughs> right? but there are others who say if you don't grind it up, you're not makayim. But I'm telling you what we did, what we do, um, and uh, that's very bitter. It can kill you. Take it from me. My kids make fun of me when I eat it. Now, um, on the other hand, the the normative halachic tradition—can I use that term—is lettuce, which is not bitter. Uh, now, um, it's very interesting. Because uh, the lettuce is not bitter, but on the other hand, the Mishnah talks about the charosis. Now, what the heck is a charosis? We don't even know how to translate that word. Does it come from the word clay, charis? The toast is yontav, I think so. You know, it's one of those Hebrew words that you don't know what, exactly what it means. <clears throat> We've all grown up knowing what, what charosis is because you see it. What's, what's the origin of that? And you know, in the Mishnah, some say it's a mitzvah, some say it's a medical I mean, what kind of a mitzvah exactly is it? Where is it in the Torah? You know, what, what do you mean it's a mitzvah? And clearly the idea... So it, it, to me, it's always the ideational representation of it. And again, this I'm just throwing out something that you may choose to discuss. 
the, the ideational representation was fascinating because uh, we say that uh, the moror needs the charosis. That's how it goes. The moror needs the charosis. Uh, one opinion is there's something poison inside the uh, moror. Wait a minute. If you, Hold on for a second. There is nothing poison inside of uh, Khrain. Okay? <laughs> nothing can live there. <laughs> you get it? If you eat horseradish, you're talking about Yamaras Chayim Babota Kasha in terms of Babota's Parach. Yeah, backbreaking labor. And when I eat that stuff and your head explodes, you're thinking of the harsh ser- physical servitude that the Jews had in, the, in, in Egypt. You know, the Mara is painful. It's physically painful. Uh, and by the way, that is the reason, historically, uh, the Achornim say that the Chayim was popular in Eastern Europe because it got no bugs. You understand? Now, by contrast, the lettuce is not uh, uh, bitter, right? Yeah, but he it says it's got poison in it, the kofa. That's why you need the the the, the chorosis. You need the chorosis. So what is it? Is it a worm? Does it draw out the worm? Or is it a, a sap or something like that inside of it? Do you see where I'm going with this? This is, and this is the preferred model, you know? Most gadolim and all use the lettuce with the chorosis. The symbolism here is it actually doesn't taste so bad, bitter, but it's got a poison in it. And steps must be taken to avoid that poison. This is the model, I think, of the Mara as the spiritual slavery the way the Nodivit is talking about. You understand? This, this is what I believe he's talking about. Uh, because it was very seductive and ultimately it was more powerful than anything else because it means they didn't want to leave and when they left they wanted to go back. It's incredible to us, but they want to go back all the time. Nitna Rosh from the Shuvah Mitzrayimah. It's crazy. Uh, and what is the antidote? What does the Chorosis consist of? Uh, as we all know, the Chorosis, at least the way it, uh, it evolved in, in rabbinic practice, the Chorosis consists of a, a culinary uh, evoking of the suffering of the slaves, of the Klal. In other words, you identify with Jewish suffering. Okay, when you eat the charosis, you make the charosis with the bricks and the straw and the blood, because the dam is supposed to represent the blood of the dead Jewish babies. Uh, you're identifying, you know, with that suffering. So, what are we saying over here? If you have, uh, you know, moror uh, of the spiritual type, uh, the only antidote is to, is to identify, right, with the charosis, with the suffering of the Jews. Um, th- that's a heavy thing I'm talking about. Let me put it, let me rephrase this. Today, in America and elsewhere, there's no backbreaking labor, but there is the, the, the spiritual mar. Most Jews today live in freedom, if not all, but they don't choose to identify as Jews. Um, there's going to be a ton of satyrs tomorrow night. Is going to be a you know a gay seder, a Palestinian seder, a Cuban seder, a communist seder, you know all this kind of stuff, <laughs> right? Uh, what is what is that? That's the moral that I'm talking. About. That's the moral of the lettuce, you know. The it, it's it's not bitter in the sense of hard work or hard labor, but it's bitter because these Jews are lost. It's the Russia, so the Russia become the victim of the moral. That's my point. Not the moral of the backbreaking labor, the moral of the what the what the note of you would I think I haven't seen in a long time, but it's in the 
one of his brushes on Shabbos and Gobel, the note of Yehuda calls uh, the Mora of the Neshama of the Nefesh. The, the Rasha is the victim of the Mora of, of, the, of the Nefesh. It's kind of interesting. Because he could go to the Seder, he just doesn't, he's not interested in it. Isn't that the situation of most Jews today? They could, you know, keep whatever they want. They could be as firm as, as, as they wish. It's not what they wish to do. In fact, they would fight back very strongly if you tried to make them do it. <clears throat> you know what I'm saying? Now, in the Haggadah, the father does not know what to do. Haki Eshinov. Haki Eshinov, you know. You can only say like this. Okay, we'll cut off the diseased limb, amputate it, and, uh, you know, I'll go with the other three limbs. With the with the with the chachams the the toms, and they ain't a Uh but that's that's a not desired end, right? That God tells us this. It's a not desired end, and I remember one thing from the Moshe Feinstein Hagada. They came out a couple years ago. You know, I always get that because when the kudos, or I used to anyway. And it's not from Moshe Feinstein, but they collect it from his stuff. Somebody must have stolen it because I cannot find it anywhere. And I used to keep it in a certain place in Shoal. It's got good stories and pieces from Negris Moshe. What I re- the one thing I remember clearly is when it came to Hake Shinov, Moshe says like and he was in America. Moshe says, "We don't do this nowadays. This this is not effective, right? Nowadays, you have to try Kirov under Russia. <laughs> you understand? It's it's a different model." You follow? It's a different model. And um, that's true. Because, but we don't do that great with the Russias. Anybody in the Kira business, I think I'm right. I'm not in the Kira business, but I believe I'm right. I think most of the people who are successful in Kira and the Lubavitchers and the others, I think, I think, their main success is from Shaino de Alisho. Not for the Russians so much. You see? Uh, there's a ton of Shaino de Alishos out there. And that's your uh, that's your best market, uh, because you know it's possible to fill them up with something. To Russia, uh, not so pushing. But I'm really wrong. And what I mean is when I'm really wrong, we strive to bring the Russia in as well. That is, you know, the famous Mishnah that says Yerecha Tuvim, and the Chalbana has to be part of the Katoras. I mean, we want the Russia. Okay, we just want to change. We want the Russia. Even though he's got an attitude and Mavodas Oslochem, we want him. And to my thinking, every time you have a three, that's referring to minus the Russia. And when you have a four, like four cups and four questions and obviously four sons and and, and other things like that, um, these are, uh, you know, with, with the Russia. You understand? And it's interesting that I haven't worked it out. The four Gullises means for the Jews, including the Russia. Right, because it's four. It's four. And the four Imahos is funny. You have three patriarchs, four matriarchs. The males represent the model without the Russia. Hakyashinov. The females represent the Imahos represent the model everybody, even the Russians. Because there's four of them. Uh, I think there's a lot of this. Maybe maybe uh, there, maybe one can be Medaic in different places in the Haggadah. But uh, as I said before, uh, you know, the, the the way you look at all the different parts of the Seder, I think there's probably going to be something in there for this. Uh, uh, that, 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 that's uh, Libby Umerly, you understand? And, you know, we're very strict. It has to be four cups, not three cups. Uh, you know, you, you have to include the Russian, and the Chalvin has to be part.
part of that whole business because when we don't have the Russia, we don't have Kali Yisrael. Isn't that funny? When we don't have the Russia, we have Kali Yisrael. Now I want to tell you something. Today, the world in you and I live is a, is a world of threes. The firm world has sort of cut, cut itself off or has been cut off, whatever you want to say. And, you know, there are two Jewish peoples. There's A and there's B. Um, I understand, believe me, historically how that evolved, but that's the way it is today. So we live, and we have Pesach seders of three. Uh, uh, you know, we don't. We, we, we typically don't have people coming to the seder who are going to say, because they wouldn't even be there if they wanted, you know, if, if that's the way they felt. But um, but we strive for four. Right? We strive for four. And... Uh, uh, the original, let me put it this way, in the original Pesach, uh, and here's a Chidah I always bring down, I remember every year, in the Chidah Gadol, he brings from some Masfardi uh, Gadol. If you look closely, um, you'll see that uh, when it says, uh, Mahim, and maybe I said this before, but I can't drive myself crazy with this. Uh, but if you, I'm pulling out the, the Chumash to look at it exactly, because I want to make a point. And uh, what it says is that, um, according to the Seder Olam, which is our official chronology, the Shibud itself, the harsh labor was 86 years. Okay. I mean, they were in Egypt altogether, what, 210? But there was, uh, uh, you know, they were, um, the actual slavery was uh, 86 years. And some of them were thoughtful. Achronim uh, in the Haggadah, I remember, um, I think it was Marl Diskin or somebody like that. He said, they could have been Yotzi the Shibud by living in Goshen. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, let me put it this way. You and I, if you're over in this side of the Atlantic, we're in Gaulus, America. It says a Gaulus. Uh, obviously, the Jewish people were, were, de- were destined for a certain period of time to live in Gaulus. Somebody's going to Orlando <laughs> in some plush situation and uh, having a fancy schmancy Pesach. I mean, they are in Gaulus, but they ain't suffering from Avodah's Perch. Uh, so the Jews, Marl Diskin said, also, you know, they were, Moshe put them in Egypt, so they were fulfilling the prophecy uh, without the inoy, you know, without the the actual hard work, um, may have meant that they'll have to withstand. Uh, what shall I say? The assimilationist drive, which they didn't. But that's you know, um, I'm conglomerating together, putting putting in my own words. They could, let me put it this way: they could have. Um, spent 400 years in Goshen as an all-Jewish situation, like, uh, you know, like a bar park or something like that, a Lakewood. It would be in Gaulus. Uh, it would be Geri Yazar Chaber Tzolahem. What about Vavon and Be'inu Mosam? That would refer to the attempt to, to, to have to withstand the assimilation um, pressures. And, you know, it's not easy. It's not easy in America. And that's what they had to put up with. But they wouldn't have lost babies to bricks and worked to death and, you know, get thrown, thrown the kids in the river and all that stuff. And so they would have had, so to speak, a gilded gullus. Uh, but they screwed up and it didn't happen that way. And so 
what happened is, listen this closely, if they were there for four, for, for um, 86 years, so um, a voter should come out to 86, I think, right? Um, Ian Bay's Dalit Hay. So um, that's 72 and 76 and 5, and Hoa Voto. So in other words, and that'll give you 86. So Bayonchum and Israel Min Hoa Voto by Izaku. Now, I think Elkim is also 86. 31, Alflam is 31, and 5 is 36, and 50 gives you 86. So Avoda and Hoa Voto and Elkim gives you 86. But they were supposed to be there for 430 years because most of them are and so um, the Jewish people couldn't stand that. They were going crazy because of the 86 years. And their cries rose up to Ho Elohim, which is five times 86, 430, meaning we can't take this for 430 years. We, we, we've had it. 86 years is now up, and we're, we're, we're going crazy. So what happened? They dove in their heads off, and I'm just reading what the Pasuk says, which means God heard their cries, so the Chidah says like this, so he took off one Elohim, so in other words, instead of 5 times 86, which is 430, he reduced it by 20%. So one reduction of 20% resulted from hearing their cries, the other reduction of 20%, resulted from remembering the bris of Avram Yitzhak Yaakov. Vayarol Kimis B'nei Yisrael. The third reduction was Vayarol Kimis B'nei Yisrael. And, uh, you know, Haggadah will darshan that, you know, for, for, for the lachats or whatever it is. And Vayedel Kim, which was the separation of the sexes. Uh, each one got him a reduction of 20%. Reduction of four times 20% means a reduction of 80%, which means that they had now paid in full um, you know, what they had to do because they had already been there 86 years. But Hebe Yom Rabbahim means that they were already there at the end of the 86 years. And the next line is that the Gula starts. The very next line is, Moshe is so close to Midian. They're far away in Midian. A guy named Moshe runs into a burning bush. And then within a few months, it's all over, as I've mentioned before. All this has to do with the idea that. Uh, they couldn't take it anymore, but in the beginning they they, they they fell for it. Beginning they fell for it. And the language is Vatimoli Sum, which I said once in before in a podcast, in the Hebrew, Vatimoli Sum means the land of Egypt filled them up. And so you the 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 emphasis over here is on like I say, the lattice. You know, it doesn't the, the physical side wasn't a problem, the spiritual side was the problem, the mental side was the problem. Here you have a discussion over uh Let's put it this way: How how enslaved are we? How hooked are we to uh, contemporary culture? Uh, that's not an easy answer, uh, because listen, nobody wants to say don't use a telephone, and nobody even wants to say don't use a, a cell phone. Um, most people. So then, what do you give up? You, you, you see what I'm saying? Uh, are you allowed to say this is us, sir? And that's also society now is changing all the rules uh, and saying this is mutter and that's mutter. Uh, you know, it's it, it, it ain't easy. And the children are the ones that are most exposed to this. People my age, we grew up when we grew up. And so we're not as affected 
by the trends of uh, recent years. But my kids grew up in recent years. They're going to be more powerfully, uh, uh, you know, affected by that. And so when we say, it's not only, yeah, like the movie, you know, the Jews left Egypt physically. That's, of course, true. But what were the pressures, especially the cultural pressures and the assimilationist pressures that they had that they that they never really got rid of, okay? Because as we know, by the time it's all over, they all die in the desert, including Moshe. Uh, they all die in the desert. Their children get to Israel. What were the nature of the pressures at that time? And what are the nature of the pressures that are there today? Um, I think that this fulfills what the Rambam said, which is that when you deal with a ben, a then you, Daito, uh, you talk about Masha Irulan of Mitzrayim. Uh, because Mashir, which is an interesting language of the Rambam, he says Mashir Moshe. The Nisim is what we always concentrate on, the ten plagues and all the rest of it. But Mashir what exactly happened in Egypt, um, which the Haggadah kind of uh, skips over. Skips over. This is what inquiring minds want to know. Anyway, these are just a few ideas that I hope will give you uh, some food for thought. Uh, but you have to, like the Rambam says. You can't repeat what I'm saying. You have to use that in your way, and for you know your kids, shall ben malamdo. You know it's it, it's got to be tailored for what works in in, in your context. Um, with that, once again, I thank the Rabinowitzes. You know, I wish them once again a Mazel Tov on the wedding, and uh, I hope everybody have a chag and a and a good seder, uh, and uh, that'll be it for now. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.